Enhance. 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 Just print the damn thing. Hey, folks, if you've been listening to the EGOT podcast from its inception, you know who's been with us from the start. That's Gabe Winslow at 832-557-1095. He is a fantastic mortgage broker and a great partner for your financial needs. Kevin, when you go through life, do you like to have just one option or many options? Oh, that's an easy one. Many options. Many options. Yeah, it's funny how that works. It is funny how that works because optionality is key in setting up your financial future and certainly is key if you're getting a home mortgage. Yeah. Why do I mention that for Gabe? Well, Gabe is a private mortgage broker with the ability to access a diff- hundred different lenders. You know what happens when you go to your big regional bank, like, I don't know, Bank of America, Chase, Citigroup. Do you know how many options you get? Uh, one. And do you know how many times you interact with the person assigned to you? Never. Almost never, because they're rolling in around 9.30, checking their email, playing around a little, taking a nice hour and a half lunch. and they're out It's of their a good own. gig for them. It's a good gig for them. <laughs> Not such a great gig for you if you're worried about closing on time efficiently with the best possible rate. That's what you're going to get from Gabe at 832-557-1095. Let him use optionality in your favor and in your best interest. Give that guy a call. Do yourself a big favor. Ian, we're just going to get into it. We don't need a big flowery introduction. I think people understand what we're doing now. We're doing a spring break down with uh, Ian Boyd. And uh, Ian, welcome back. Talk about the type of sessions. Kind of interesting, isn't it? They have a solid diversity of talent at tied in this year. I think they have um, a Tom Herman tight end, a unknown, ultra-talented tight end, and then a, uh, hmm, let's say, a Lincoln Riley tight end. Interesting. Well, <laughs> can you guess which is which from that? Yeah, you know, I, I think I might uh, I might have some ideas about who is who. Uh, but does Texas have a complete tight end? I don't know. I, it seems like it seems like they think that they do. Um, and we're going to find out. Um, I don't know. Hopefully we get some inkling in the spring game. I think they have two guys that might be complete tight ends. Probably at least, probably at least one of them will be. Okay. I like it. Uh, well, look, let's, let's, without any further ado, let's talk about the personnel. Uh, let's lead. Let's start it off with Jutavian Sanders. So, so he's the guy, he's the guy that I think is a tremendous talent who might be a complete tight end. Uh, every report we've, made it inside Texas, has had him as uh, first team. He cut weight from like, I think he was listed at 256 last year. He was probably at least that. And he's listed at like 248 now. He seems to have uh, really seized the opportunity from seeing um, Cade Brewer exit the program, exhaust his eligibility, and... uh, Jared Wiley transfer out, and he's like, my time is now. I'm not waiting around. So every indication has been good, but we've not seen this guy play a good deal of football. So So Jatavian Sanders was a ballyhooed recruit uh, for good reason. He was an elite edge rusher and an elite uh, tight end uh, ball catcher, primarily sort of a flexed out tight end, the way they used him in high school, which – Makes sense, right? He's bigger, stronger, faster than all the guys covering him. Just flex him out, have him run down the field and throw a jump ball. And then he was a great edge player. And given UT's deficits on the edge, a lot of people were like, man, shouldn't Jatavian be be playing on the other side of the ball? But ultimately, the coaches thought he'd succeed best where he's most invested and most wanted to succeed. And for Jatavian, that's tight end. He's had a really good offseason by by all reports. And to Ian's point, he seems to have redistributed his weight. He's in better shape. And his athleticism, Ian, is not uh, 
the freakish Vernon Davis type athleticism. For those of you who don't remember, Vernon Davis was an NFL tight end for quite a while for the 49ers and some other teams who out of Maryland at like 260 ran a 43840 at the combine. That's not Jatavian Sanders. He's more of the Tony Gonzalez school of athleticism, where obviously Tony Gonzalez, great athlete. And by the way, I just compared him to the most prolific tight end in NFL <laughs> history. Uh, I'm not saying he's that good. What I am saying is his athleticism is less about gross measurables. It's more about body control. It's about hands. It's about fluidity. These things that don't always get captured easily in a spark score. Do you know who he reminds me of? Bring it. Jalen Wiedermeyer. From a and Yeah. The undrafted Wieder, guy? Wieder, well, we have, he's not yet been undrafted. Um, he just ran at the A&M Pro Day and posted just horrendous numbers. Didn't he but run he, like a 5040 or something? Yes. But if you see him in games, he's very fluid and, and open a lot. He's, he's exactly what you're describing. He's a big, thick dude. He's a, actually a decent blocker when he wants to be. I'm not sure how often that was last year, but the year before it was at least occasional. And yeah, just always open and then catches the ball and it's thrown near him. He's gonna, I bet you that guy ends up being a steal for somebody, especially if he's, if he's bought in. I don't know um, what all his issues are and if, if there's buy-in issues or if it's just, hey, just the dude doesn't run fast, but you should still take him. Jatavian Sanders might be faster than that, I think. I, don't, I think he would run better than a 5-0. But yeah, very much to your point, he's, he's going to be open. Whatever, whatever his 40 time is, he's the kind of guy that's going to be open. I think the point we're making, I don't think he's running a 5-0. I, I, think, right, right. I think the idea is that we're so used to thinking of great athletes as a 4-4, 4-5 guy. Mm-hmm. Understand that there are great athletes who run a 4.75, who run a 4.80, and their athleticism is about their ability to control and manipulate their body. Do you know who my favorite example of that is? Nadia Komenich. <laughs> um, Trayvon Boykin ran a 4.8 at the combine. And what, like a thousand yard rusher as a quarterback at TCU, probably, he right? He was untouchable. Yeah. Untouched. No one could get their hands on him. I, Sam Ellinger too. Sam Ellinger was not untouchable, but it was awfully hard to get him. And he ran a. a he's he's always been a four eight guy dating back to Westlake, but he knew he knew where to move, and he was quick enough to do it. Yeah, another example of uh, guys like that is every star running back at Memphis ever. They don't really test that well, but you see them in games and you're like, holy cow, that dude is freaking quick. Mm. Uh, who's the Bills starting running back? The, I was about to say the Boise State running backs in Peterson's heyday were all like that too. Uh, oh, it, but it's now it's uh, the F. Devin Singletary. Singletary. That's the guy I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, so Jatavian uh, – <laughs> Here's the question. We think he could be a complete tight end. Complete meaning, of course, he's a receiving threat and a blocker. What about the notion that Steve Sarkeesian doesn't use the tight end that much in his offenses? Historically, he has had some productive tight ends, uh, certainly at USC. He's also had plenty of tight ends that didn't really see the ball much. Was that a function? Is that a function of Steve Sarkeesian's offense or is he just throw the ball where the talent is? He had a guy at uh, Atlanta. Um, now I can't remember who it was. Algie Crumpler? Was it Algie Crumpler? That might yeah, be maybe. One. I don't know. Well, whoever it was that they had at uh, Atlanta, they would flex him out and throw RPOs to him. So uh, it, <laughs> it kind of seems like one of those things where um, I, I thought Jared Wiley was actually a pretty gifted receiver. But Sarkeesian seemed to think that there were other options to throw to that were uh, more worth his while. So I do think he likes to use the tight end as a blocker quite a bit. But I also think some of that 
is a reflection. There's some of his low tight end production numbers you see at like uh, some of his guys in Alabama are certainly Texas's guys last year. I think some of that was like, um, yeah, I could I could have drawn up more throws for Kate Brewer or Jared Wiley, or I could throw it to Xavier Worthy and hand it to Bijan Robinson. I, I I suspect that that was what was going on, and that it's not necessarily a function of his scheme. I think you're right. I also think that looking at the optimistic upside of this offense, if you have Xavier Worthy dominating and concerning defensive coordinators outside, inside, wherever he's lined up, you have a good tight end who's a big catch radius, can adjust, can run good routes, go get the ball, you know, in Jatavian Sanders. And then you've got Bijan Robinson coming out of the backfield. You've got this layered sort of receiving uh, you know, people think of receiving threats in terms of the spread, meaning the wide receivers across the line of scrimmage. There's also another layer of receiving threats, which is your wide receiver, your tight end, your running back, and where they're running and what parts of the field they're typically catching the ball, and the stress that that puts on a defense. Because one of your linebackers is covering that running ba- that running back or tight end, are they not? They are. And and if you've got real quality at those personnel and you've got a safety, I mean, you've got a, you've got a double team Xavier worthy think The field gets real big and it happens real fast. Yeah. You're speaking the, you're speaking the language of your people. You, uh, Jim Xers that grew up on Troy Aikman going, uh, Irvin Novacek and then, uh, Emmett or Moose or whatever that guy's name was underneath. Whatever that guy's name was, Daryl Johnston. <laughs> the guy that didn't understand how roasts work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, speaking of blocking in the tight end position, naturally, that goes to the next candidate that we're talking about, and that is Jaleel Billingsley, the talented, though enigmatic, transfer from Alabama. We're supposed to throw in enigmatic or... Uh, something like that to understand Jaleel Billingsley's lack of it not ever clicking fully with him. Billingsley weighs 215, 220 pounds, Ian. I noticed that. Is Who's he going to block? Um, the substitute linebacker that some foolish team plays against 12 personnel without realizing that they should just stay a nickel. That is the correct answer. I mean, he's actually that he's a little better than that, but but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so you had written a really good article in Inside Texas talking about some of these options, and you know, I I, I weighed in on the thread and made the observation that hey, look, Jaleel Billingsley can screen someone, meaning he can get in the way. I mean, as a blocker, I don't mean as a recipient of the ball as a screen. I mean, he can get in someone's way. I think he can occupy someone if anyone thinks he's going to put his hand down or even in a bunch formation block a defensive end or even an outside linebacker in, in a three four a true edge guy i think you're delusional uh certainly not on the on with the ball coming behind him could he be flexed out and could he be a viable blocker on a safety a corner uh could he even crack on a linebacker although you're not really allowed to crack back back like like the good old days Yes, but the best Julio Billingsley weighs in the 230s or like maybe 240. And I don't think it's 215. So I don't know. Thoughts? I wonder what he played it last year. More. I think that was one of the, the arguments with Saban. So real quick aside, um, Nick Saban has been losing a lot of guys to the transfer portal. And I'm old enough to remember back to a year ago when he would talk about the transfer portal and he was like, um, well, you know, good players aren't going to leave Alabama. Right? Um, they're going to stay here because there's no better place for them to go. So I think, if anything, it'll be more of a boost to us than a, a deficit. And then, But I don't think... They they talk about all these guys that leave like, oh, they're bad apples. I don't remember Alabama having bad apples in the past that they were happy to get rid of. 
So like when like Billingsley goes and Keelan Robinson goes and Jake Hall goes, I really think this is driving Saban nuts. And I don't know the extent to which his uh, comments recently are like indicative that these guys are irredeemable uh, divas or something. Mm. Or if it's just a authoritarian minded coach who is very unused to not having these guys firmly within his control. You know, Bama's a machine and it's, it's uncaring about its inputs and their attitude is, yeah, Alvin Kamara transferred and went to Tennessee, probably wasn't even fully utilized there. And then now he's, you know, one of the best. It was definitely not. Uh, but now he's one of the best five running backs in the NFL. And Nick Saban shrugs because he's like, don't care, won titles. Like, this is a machine. And, and if you don't want to be here, you know, leave I don't, or, or not or whatever. But, yeah, the portal does threaten that. It does introduce a different, interesting dynamic. Anyway, I, on Billingsley, I think a lot of people when he came here had the expectation that this guy was going to be our tight end. And I tried to caution at the time that he is more of a role player than people imagine. And in fact, in some ways, although he will certainly play because uh, he's talented, there, it may be more useful to think him as, of him as the backup, the de facto backup to Jordan Whittington at the slot or as an inside receiver. Absolutely. I actually thought when they got him, um, they were after Mario Williams as well. And they were after, they were after Nayor early. And then Nayor was like, I'm going to Tennessee. And they zeroed in on Mario Williams. And then Mario Williams went with Caleb Williams to uh, USC. And I was like, okay, Billingsley is going to be the starting slot. They're going to play quote unquote 12 personnel. And he'll come in and block every now and then. But he's going to be flexed out a ton. And he's basically going to be the de facto slot. Well, then they got Nayor, who by all accounts is terrific. And then Jordan Whittington was having, is just having a tremendous offseason. So I'm, I'm with you. Now I think Billingsley is kind of relegated to uh, backup slot receiver. Interesting that a position we've had a lot of complaints about, at least in, in recent years, has a level of depth and potential. Look, I understand potential is a fancy word for you haven't done anything yet. But there's a level of depth and potential that if you really look at it without a jaundiced eye, there's real upside in this crew. And that feeds into the next guy who's going to be probably forgotten on the depth chart, at least early. He may work his way into the lineup. That's Juan Davis. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, he's still on the team. He's what is he listed at now? Because I thought he did a I thought he pulled a a Billingsley and he uh, on the spring roster he was listed at like a, I want to say like two sixteen or something. Yeah, he's listed Very at six four two eighteen. Yeah. That's uh it's not very well he's not six four. No, he's like six two, right? Yeah, that would, that would be worse if he was actually six four. You're exactly right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, that's the size of little Jordan Humphrey, right? Um, I, it's funny, you know, in football, you always have this thing. It's, it's like dating apps. They say that uh, men under six feet tall always pad their height by at least two inches. That's the average. Hmm. And the more you're under, I think five foot nine was the trigger height. The more you're under five foot nine, you pad your height by two, three inches, almost guaranteed. Whereas if you're 5'11, you'll say, ah, I'm six feet tall. But then once you get over six feet tall, you don't feel the need to pad your height anymore. If you're below 5'9, what was the what was the tendency to go oh, to taller? If you're 5'5, five, five, you claim you're 5'8. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of feel like that for tight ends. You don't want to get, you know, everyone wants a six foot four to six foot six tight end. And 
if you're a six foot two guy, I think there's a lot of pressure. It's the it's the dating app factor of the tight end position that you want to list yourself as six four. Mm. Well, look, I always, I always took the opposite. I'm I'm five eight, and I don't. There's well, I've never used a dating app, but uh, never seemed to be much point in trying to inflate the height. But then I actually interacted with people in person before I was married, so it's a little different. Now I have three kids, so evolution from an evolutionary perspective this is all i can i can go now there's no point your desire to meet people in the real world is bizarre ian <laughs> all right well back to the real world of the tight end position juan davis is, is he just a, a fairly interesting talented guy who might be on the outside looking in yeah it definitely seems like it um you know, he actually looked solid as a blocker last year. They would use him. I mean, this was against, like, Rice or some, some such team. But he had some uh, – he, he looked like he was about it, as the, as the kids would say. He threw some pretty nasty uh, split zone blocks on guys. And um, he kind of seemed like he was going to be a more explosive and athletic version of what Cade Brewer was last season. Now it doesn't seem like that role will necessarily exist in 2023 because they have, sorry, 2022 because they have too many mouths to feed with Billingsley and Sanders and uh, all the running backs and receivers. So I kind of wonder if he's kind of developed for the Kate Brewer role, but kind of shelved until the future season. I think that's accurate. Here's another guy with a, a distinct role. At least his body type suggests it. And when he came as a recruit, somewhat unheralded, at least compared to the rest of the class, people had questions about him. He got on the field and he looked he looked pretty natural, and that's Gunnar Helm. I had to look him up because I wanted to find all the film I could of him, and uh, it was mostly combing through games to find when they would run the, uh, what do we call the wild Roshan package? It seemed like there was a the road. The Rocat. The what? The Rocat? Cat. Rocat. Okay. Well, the um, that's what I think that's where he saw most of his playing time was in the Rocat. They would play with three tight ends, and um, he was a pretty physical blocker. I think coming out of high school, my concern with him was he seemed like he had another guy that Tom Herman had recruited that was like a good flex tight end receiver in high school but was just going to be relegated to blocking duties 90% of the time at Texas. And I would just be like, why don't you get somebody that already blocks or just like convert a defensive end or something instead of getting all these like finesse guys that have dreams of being um, Jason Witten and then tell, and then, you know, tricking them into becoming a, a fullback. But uh, Gunnar Helm seemed like he was actually taking to that really well. And now he's bigger and stronger. Up until recently, I assumed he would start next year because he seemed like the most physical blocker of the different options. And uh, when you have Bijan Robinson on your team, you might want to play the physical blocking tight end over the receiving tight end. That's a good point. Also, I my my thought is he creates a little bit of diversity in that if you play 12 personnel, 12 meaning one running back, two tight ends, the assumption is it's Billingsley and Sanders to get the receiving threat on from both your tight ends. It might actually be Helm and Sanders because you want to get the threat of a of an effective run blocker who is a is a viable receiver. You know, I'd he didn't catch anything in the season, but he actually, I don't know if you remember the spring game, he actually showed some ability. And, uh, you know, I, th I think it's interesting. I think he's bigger and stronger. He looks more like a traditional tight end. And was he the second guy that you mentioned that you think has potential to, to sort of block and catch? Yeah, I think he's, I think he's actually a complete tight end. I saw there was also a, there was a fall clip. Um, they had like a... <laughs> They had an open practice in the fall last year, and there was a strict, like, no videos rule. 
and then a, a media person that I won't mention took some videos anyway. And uh, while everyone was condemning this person for breaking the rules and perhaps limiting future as, uh, future access, I was also eagerly <laughs> eagerly watching everything that he had uh, curated from this from the fall camp. And uh, amongst the things that he captured was uh, Gunnar Helm running a, a really nifty route in the red zone to get open. And uh, he looked, I think that was kind of his thing in high school. He looked very natural doing it. I, I don't think that, he may be slower because he's bigger, or maybe not. But he looked very natural getting open and catching things that were thrown at him. So I, I really think he's... I, I, I felt good about Gunnar Helm as tight end number one going into the season. Um, this, it seems like the staff thinks that Jatavian Sanders is the better option. To me, that suggests that Sanders might be really good right now. You know, we'll see. Yeah, catching, getting open and catching things that are thrown at you is a good set of skills to have at the tight end position. Especially if you can block. If you can block and you can do that, that you're you're set. How many right. uh, how many Boise State guys caught a gazillion touchdowns because they were good blockers, but they could also catch it if it was thrown at them. You know, if you ask Texas fans who are the best tight ends that we've had, a lot of people will say, "Oh, yeah, they'll go back to Jermichael Finley." Obviously, they'll mention Andrew Beck. Uh, there's a reason Jeff Swaim still plays in the NFL. Well, he he wasn't so great at the catch things that are thrown at him part. No, but you know that's actually improved in the NFL, amusingly enough. But the point the point is, if you can block yeah. really effectively and you're a reliable guy, you've got a career as a tight end. Um, you know, there's there's some guys with a much better measurables and all sorts of other stuff who wash out of the league, but. If you've got a tight end who will block, and and Jeff Swaim has improved his hands and catching, uh, there's a reason he's still playing NFL football. Can you imagine if Texas had him in uh, 2017 or 2019? He would have been perfect for what Herman was trying to do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that how much of that would have mattered in 2017. Would, would that have meant that we had to keep Tom Herman, Ian? <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, here's a guy um, I, I think has all the talent in the world, honestly. And unfortunately, he can't catch a break. That's Braden Labrock. Uh, oh, yeah. Labrock. Yeah, you're, uh, there's another O. Like, oh, he's still on the team. He's yeah. a junior now, Ian. Yeah. And he, he is a... Very talented guy. I'm not just talking about his recruiting ranking or his high school film. I mean, people in the program will tell you Braden Lybrock is very talented. He's just always injured. And and it's not – some of it's just bad luck. It could be maybe he's just not very durable. But he has real athleticism, and he has real ability to adjust to the ball in the air. He has a great feel, great hands. He just can't catch a break. Uh, is he – you're, are you just hoping this guy is a future gas camp winner? Yeah. I mean, or for his sake that he uh, gives up football and tries to get his body as healthy as possible so that he's not miserable in his 40s, you know, or, or God forbid his 30s with uh, lingering chronic ailments. You know, yeah. um, his expl- he was so explosive and, and gifted in high school. I was listening to uh, that uh, the the Godfather of, of sports podcast, Bill Simmons, the other day or earlier today, and he was talking about um, big men that stay healthy in the NBA. And he it was just sort of this like uh, haphazard uh, observation, but he's like, I wonder if it's better to be a guy like Jokic that cannot jump, but then consequently is never putting any real stress on his joints and never risking like falling and landing on somebody's foot. Because when you're down in the paint and you're jumping up all the time, you're going to either wear out your body because it's because even seven-foot bodies are not designed for the stress that seven-foot people put on them when they do things like running and jumping, 
or you just reduce the number of chances of a freak injury where something bad happens. I, I think you mentioned Tim Duncan as well. Tim Duncan had this extremely extended late prime or late pseudo prime where he'd like hurt one of his knees and he couldn't run or jump anymore. And so he just relied on skills and passing and positioning and just his sheer size. But then he stayed healthy and effective for a really long time. I just wonder if tight end is one of those positions where it's almost better to be one of those guys, like we mentioned before, that just has a, is fluid and has a knack for getting open rather than the freak athlete who tries to uh, run fast and survive collisions and has a lot of surface area for defensive players to target on tackles because they're 6'5", 250, you know? There is a, a strange paradox in the NFL and in football and in a lot of sports. It's the thoroughbred versus the draft horse. And the draft horse is, of course, is the thing that, you know, the, the big horse, the big, strong, robust horse that you find, you know, in Central Park pulling around honeymooners, right? And then thoroughbreds are these tightly wound elite, uh, always getting hurt, always skittish, freaking out if you leave a hose out, you know, uh, you know, they, you know, they'll, they'll see a hose and think it's a boa constrictor about to attack them and they'll freak out and like batter themselves in their own stall. Uh, whereas a, a workhorse, a draft horse, a Clydesdale, they're kind of more even handed, you know, even minded and they don't, they're not prone to anxiety. Uh, and you can put a load on them and they just keep going. And there's something to that in football, not just a tight end, but, you know, to your NBA point about centers, the way it often goes, particularly for a lot of these big guys, is they're either going to play three years and get injured and never be able to really play again and get back, you know, the Bill Walton, or they're going to play 20. And that's the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, Robert Parrish, Tim Duncan, all that. Um, you know, it's an interesting observation. And um, there is something to that when you're when you're too tightly wound. That can make you more injury prone, right? You know, there's a, a famous story about Deion Sanders where a physical therapist was like, hey, I know you're fast, but uh, I want to work on you and stretch you out and, and, and massage you and, and do some things to, you know, help you. And it's going to make you even faster and more durable. And the guy said, like, Deion Sanders is one of the tightest athletes he'd ever worked on. And right after he did it, Dion ran slower. And, <laughs> and so Dion is like, hey, no one's ever going to, you know, I'm wound tight. That's why I run so fast. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to get, you know, uh, uh, yoga into my, reg you know, regimen. It seems to be working for me. So anyway, yeah, we're, we're going off the trail here. But there's something to that, Ian. I, I do think there is something to it. It's, it is not a coincidence that, you know, Tony Gonzalez played, 18 years in the NFL or whatever the hell it was. Uh, it's, it's because his athleticism was more discreet and more refined than just gross measurables. Yeah. That's what the guys, that's what the guys get excited about in recruiting though. Right. Is uh, like, uh, we're all guilty of this. Like some enormous kid in high school recently ran. I wish I could remember his name or his time, but some enormous defensive end prospect. He ran a 10, three. Ran a 10-3 at like what, 6'5, 250 or something, 240? Yeah. And so everyone like oohs and ahs, like that guy is going to be unstoppable on the edge. He might be. He might be the next Von Miller or whoever. Or it may be that no one has heard of, remembers who he is in a couple of years because he gets hurt a lot. Or he can't bend. He doesn't have agility. He doesn't have quickness. He doesn't possess basic football instincts. You know, there's a, there's a, a recruit. Sure. If you I don't know if you remember him. <laughs> there was a recruit a while back. He went to Ohio State and washed oh, out. I think he transferred to Tech. Mike Mitchell. Yep, yep. One of the greatest spark measurable athletes in the history of spark coming out of high school. And But you watched his high school film, and I just remember being like, yeah, this guy's you, – you, you could only take him as a project, as amusing as it sounds. He just was not a natural, instinctive football player. And that happens. Hey, I, I did want to develop the theme a little bit about the tight end. And, you know, sometimes people get caught up in personnel 
or people talk about, well, if we if we bring out 12 personnel, then they have to put in their their base defense because they're worried we're going to run the ball. And one of the things that people don't always factor in is that the defense gets a vote. The enemy gets a vote. The defensive coordinator, if your tight ends can't block, they're under no obligation to get out of their nickel or even their dime and, and, and you know, allegedly stop the run by, by their personnel. They can run whatever they want because if your tight ends can't block, they can't block and it doesn't really matter. Um, there's another aspect to it, which is... Wait, sorry. To this point, if your tight end cannot block, um, there's a good chance that he also, if he say he cannot block a defensive end or a good linebacker, there's a good chance he also cannot block a safety who comes at him from unexpected angles with even more speed. That's such a good point, Ian, because what small guys do to bigs in space and, and, and tight end can sometimes be that big is they, they don't take them on. They matador them. Yeah. They run under them. They run around them. Uh, they sidestep them, and they take advantage of them. And, and you know, I've mentioned this before, but one of the most devastating open field, open space blockers I've ever seen at the college level was Martellus Bennett at Texas A&M. Mm. Be- because Martellus was 6'6", every bit of 250-plus, and he was a very good basketball player. Like, he could have played college basketball, and he had great feet. And A&M, this is back when they did the Stephen McGee uh, option stuff with Francione. And they used Martellus Bennett to arc block a lot, meaning he would get out on safeties and defensive backs. And this is back when Texas, every single starter in the defensive backfield was going to play in the NFL. And Martellus Bennett, Martellus Bennett, if you go back and watch those games, is planning poor Mike, Michael Griffin on his ass 10 yards down the field. Because... Griffin couldn't evade that guy. And, and, and then it's just a matter of physics. Martellus Bennett's 6'6", 250. He's not, and he's going against a guy who weighs 205. And that is a huge, huge uh, point that you just made. There are some tight ends who do excel at blocking a small, like a defensive back, but they can't block a big. But to your point, a lot of guys who can block a big may not be able to block a small. And then there's plenty of tight ends who can't block either one. Yeah. And, and so just because that guy may catch five balls for 66 yards and you go, oh, he's a star, he's a great player. Well, if you have to sacrifice your running game for that production, you end up with Jason Morrow, right? 6'6", 270 at Texas Tech, a second round pick, goes to the NFL, the New York Jets cut him because he cannot block a single guy on the field. He can't block a small. He can't block a big. Hey, it's cool that he's 6'6", 270, and he has good hands. Uh, you literally, we sacrifice our entire running game. We're not doing that for Jay Samaro. I, You've brought up so many unpleasant memories. I was there in the... I was a student with like the season, with the season ticket in 2007 for that for that terrible game. Um, I, I do wonder the Jets maybe Jason Morrow never blocked anyone at Tech. Cliff Kingsbury didn't bother with that nonsense. That's right. I I wonder like maybe the Jets misused him. I wonder if his career might have been a little bit better if they had realized. So like um. Who's that guy that just came out of Florida? Uh, freak, amazing receiving tight end that barely played tight end at Florida. I'm blanking. I know exactly what you're talking about. He's awesome. What's Atlanta, right? Yes. Um, that guy. It'll come to us in a, in a, to one of us in a minute. The thing about the spread in passing game is that People, you'll look at like a guy like Jason Morrow and be like, well, if he's 270 pounds, so he needs to block so that he can set up his routes. No, he doesn't. What? There's nothing wrong with having a, if a good, if a big guy is good at getting open, just put him out wide all the time and let him get open. Don't, don't feel like he has to be a blocker 
unless they unless he finally comes up against somebody that can cover him. I mean, maybe he could. I, I wasn't there at Jets practices, although the Jets have hardly covered themselves in glory as a franchise for the last few years. But, so, uh, sorry I think to people, interrupt you. That tight end is Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts. Great. Kyle Pitts will probably block very little in his NFL career. And he will be described as a tight end because we don't have language yet for a receiver. Well, he's actually pretty fast, but we don't have language for a receiver whose skill is using their size and fluidity to be a reliable target at the chains. You know? Yeah. So I would say the thing about Jason Morrow is it's not just because the Jets are a sorry franchise, they cut him. They cut him because his athletic abilities, partly because of his size, what, what made him uncommon was that he had some fluidity at that size. Yeah, he and so great. in the college game, he could exploit that. In the NFL game, a man game, he can't because he's nowhere remotely in the athletic like league of a Kyle Pitts. And so that's why Jason Morrow got cut because he has, he has no other utility because he can't do the one thing that he allegedly does so well. He can't do it very well at the NFL level. And then as a blocker, he's an F. But could he not do it because he was lined up where everybody could put their hands on him before he even got out? No, of they were out? splitting him out too, right? They, they, okay. they were trying to use him the way the tech used him. He can't get open at the NFL level. Fair enough. And so that's, that's what went on with him. But the, the bigger point also that goes along with this is a guy like – there was a guy named Christian Fourier. Christian Fourier was one of the best blocking tight ends I've ever seen. And he was a dominant blocker at the Colorado. Uh, and then he played in the NFL for 13 years. When you hear blocking tight end and dominant, you think, oh, this guy's 275, you know, just a monster. Christian Fourier was 6'4", 240, 245, yeah. built yeah. like a basketball player. He had amazing technique. And he also had, obviously, the willingness to block. And he understood how to get fit. And he understood how to, how to marry his hips and his feet. And he was just an incredibly skilled blocker. And it's... People think blocking is just about pure mass and strength. And, and believe me, those things help. But once you have enough, if you have amazing technique, particularly at something like tight end, you're going to play in the NFL for a long time. And... That's why a Jatavian Sanders, who may not necessarily strike you as a, a, a blocker profile, he may surprise us because of his athleticism and his feet and his length. He could turn into a really good blocker. That's, uh, that's my hope. I learned this lesson because I wrote this uh, article on my old blog about the uh, 90s Nebraska powerhouses. Because... Um, the point I was trying to make was this idea. I was very skeptical of the idea that uh, blue chip ratio and having this like critical mass of blue chip recruits on your team is necessary to dominate and win national championships. I'm still skeptical of that, honestly. Although I, I do think it makes sense for Texas to stack a lot of talent being where they are. But what I learned from looking back at that Nebraska team was that I, I knew this a little bit going in that their offensive linemen were not necessarily the biggest. They were not like combine freaks. They had a lot of they had a lot of six two two ninety on their offensive line, but they also had a lot of guys at tight end that were tremendous blockers. And you'd think like, oh, Nebraska, I option Tom Osborne days. I bet they put some big old two hundred seventy pound farm boy at tight end to run people over. They didn't. Some of those guys had listings like 230, 240, where you're like, oh, that guy could be a good blocker, probably needs to add a little weight. Those guys did not need to add weight. They had all the strength they needed. Extra weight was only going to slow them down, and they would win decisively their battles with uh, the guys they had to block. That, this, that taught me a lot about what you were saying about uh, technique, alignment, hand placement, um, sheer want to how how much do you want to be good at blocking people that's a that's maybe the most 
important aspect of something like that. Yes, and the nature of the veer and the old Texas high school players and Texas high school football coaches back when this was a thing, right, when I still played, the tight end in the veer is not necessarily blocking a defensive end straight up. They're arc blocking out there. They're looking for little guys to go put on the turf. Those are the, the mismatches. You're optioning that end, right? You're rendering him uh, useless based on his read and your quarterback making the, the correct move. And so, yeah, for Nebraska did everything, but they did they, everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nebraska ran power. They did all sorts of stuff. The point is, you yeah. want a tight end who's athletic and a willing blocker, not just a giant monster. Yes, very much. Now, Which that said, why, there's another Texas why, game. If you want to bring back some bad memories, did you ever see the uh, the old Arkansas Matt Jones game? I, I did. I have not revisited it since well, I developed a more keen understanding of the game. Because I was that was another. I think I was like in high school. I think I listened to that game while working a, a shift at Subway as a high schooler. Oh, just love being it. Like, this is terrible. What's happening? Well, so Arkansas, for those of you who don't remember, Arkansas came in with Matt Jones, big athletic option quarterback, um, very uh, one-dimensional team. But they had a guy named Jason Peters, who was still in the NFL playing offensive tackle, mind you, who they lined up at tight end. Uh. And Jason Peters, I'm not exaggerating, I was at this game, I think he had 20 pancake blocks. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Arkansas ran it up our ass for four quarters, and there was nothing Texas could do about it. And uh, it was hard to watch. So, yeah, sometimes having a, a monster who's so athletic and amazing that he can go play in the NFL for 15 years, that also helps at tight end. But uh, anyway, I hope you guys have uh, learned a thing or two about the position. Is there anything we want to add, Ian? Yeah, I, I- this whole point that we've been on about, you know, athleticism and want to are much better indicators of a blocker at tight end than size and weight. This just goes to show that Jatavian Sanders cutting 10 or 20 pounds or however much it was and dedicating himself enough this offseason to win that, well, maybe not win, but to currently be the first, first string tight end on the roster is very a very good indicator and i said that at the beginning of the podcast but this is why everything we've been breaking down if this guy is ready to go get after it and really take to everything he needs to take to to maximize this position cutting away and being smaller is probably a better indicator of him being a good blocker than him coming in at 255 260 again that's a great point, Ian. And, you know, just the, the the angles of football, particularly at tight end, you're being asked to reach block people quite a bit, right? And reach blocking someone is where you try to take their outside, right? When we run outside zone with Bijan Robinson, you badly want to get your tight end on the outside shoulder of that edge player. You want to turn him inside. And, and, and if that guy won't allow that, then you want to kind of push him. You want to you want to make him string it out so Bijan can 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 um, cut it back inside. But the ability to reach someone, yes, strength is a factor, power is a factor. It's actually your footwork. It's your get off. And you've heard the expression in probably military tactics: get there firstest with the mostest. That's yeah. how it works if you're trying to reach block someone. If you get to the spot first. The defender loses if you have just enough strength. You don't have to be stronger than the defender. You just have to have enough strength that they can't just ragdoll you. You just need to be able to protect the space that you just claimed. And that's it. Yeah. So Sanders, we have anything else enlightening we want to share, Ian? What's that again? Do we have anything else enlightening we want to share? Uh, we, we should probably save it for one of these other positional reviews. Well, you and I, uh, the danger of us talking is that we just spent 48 minutes, I think, talking about the tight end position. And uh, that uh, this does not bode well for the offensive line, Ian. This is going to be an hour and a half <laughs> podcast, at least. Oh, man. All right. Well, hey, I've enjoyed it, buddy. Say goodbye to the people. 
and uh, we will sign off. All right. We'll, we'll see you all next time. Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours. And that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now, he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, That's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call. Hey, folks. We are living in interesting times, and particularly if you live in the great state of Texas. This is a time where interest rates are skyrocketing. At the same time, home valuations continue to increase. So if you're looking to buy a home or if you want to refi some of that equity and take advantage of it in your existing home, this is the time to go with the very best. And that's Gabe Winslow. You can reach him at 832-557-1095, 832-557-1095 or mortgagesbygabe.com. Here's the thing about Gabe. When you have the opportunity to do business with someone really, really sharp, who's also going to look out for your best interests in an ethical way. That's who I'm always going to choose 10 times out of 10. Gabe is great at what he does. And if he is not the best solution or his financial solutions are not the best for you, he will try to help you and advise you no matter what state you're in, no matter what your situation, because he's a hell of a nice guy and a good Longhorn. Give him a call, 832-557-1095.